0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for our Pulse Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins, and I appreciate you tuning us in today, that God may speak to you through his word, and the Holy Spirit may minister to you through the messages that are brought forth, that you'll be blessed, and we pray that you will continue to listen to our podcast, and we pray that you would have a blessed day. God bless you all. Um, I never came as a hired hand, one that uh, you know when danger comes it says that they scatter, or when troubles come a hired hand will always run uh, and leave things hanging. And and that's not. I didn't come here because I was hired. Uh, I came here because I was called. And and really, uh, we had opportunity the other day to have uh, those that called us their church family. You know, want, wanting to say that this is my church family. I want to be a part of this family, that we invited uh, people over for dinner. We had uh, tri-tip, and some couldn't make it uh, for that. Dan said he would come again next time we had tri-tip, so he can keep coming. Um, We wanted to make it special. So uh, we thought for those that couldn't make it because of illness or whatever, we'll have it again. Uh, We'll do... um, a dinner at our house. We just live right up on the hill, not far from here. And uh, if you think you'd like to make it over to our place and try to do that, Dan, yes, you can come again if you, if you really want to. <laughs> you can come again. If... <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll, we'll figure out another day here very soon to be able to do that. Um, but again, um, a church family is only as good as, you know, the body, the church, the family, the people like you. And, you know, being a shepherd, you know, I, I want to equip you guys to do the work of the ministry. And as rightly so, Peggy said, that it's not anything to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus. And I want to point us always to Jesus because um, he is the one why we come together. He is the head of the body, not me. I'm just an under-shepherd under him, under the great shepherd. Today we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark, and I'm going to read through uh, the entirety of chapter 13 today, because it really is one flow, one thought, and I couldn't really break it up. So I'm just going to read it in segments today. Uh, we're going to pick up in this, and this is again the last week of Jesus' life on earth, and so he had just been confronted by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. Uh, They were trying to get him arrested, which was a few days after that, that he actually was arrested and crucified. Um, Jesus had just cleansed the temple. Again, he was confronted by these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. And as they were leaving the temple in this chapter, one last time, uh, his disciples were along with him, and they said, oh, look, Look, Jesus, look at the magnitude of these stones, this temple, it's amazing. And it was. It was an amazing facility. This The temple in Jerusalem was enormous. And then Jesus shocks them in this chapter with these words that say, one day it's gonna all be demolished. It's gonna all be demolished. And then they asked him, what's the sign that these things are gonna happen? What's the sign that this is gonna happen? And the rest of the chapter is Jesus' answer to that, of what is going to happen. And so what you see in this is that there's double meaning behind this chapter, the double meaning being the destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem, but also of the end of time, the end of days. As we know, that do you believe we're living in the last days? I mean, I do. I believe Jesus' time is very short, that, that Jesus is coming soon. And so in this chapter, my title today is Time to Get Ready. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be observant of those things that are happening in our, our world, those things around us, and about who Jesus is. And, and when he said he's coming back again someday, we, I believe that. I hope you do as well. Now, many scholars say chapter 13 of Mark is one of the harder passages In the gospel, one of the more harder or more difficult passages in the the New Testament to interpret. Uh, So the disciples ask about the destruction of the temple, and Jesus talks about that, but also about his final coming again someday at the end of the age. And so he warns of persecution, he warns to be watchful of those times and those things that are going to take place. And so it seems to change subjects without warning. So it's hard to know what he's talking about. And also Jesus' words are actually steeped in Old Testament uh, imagery that is familiar to his audience, but it's unfamiliar to many of us. And so all of this, I want to start, and I want to read the first four verses of this. And we're just going to read it in little segments here. But let's start out in the first four. It says, As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up there in a minute. Let's just stop there with what verse 4 says. Lord God, I just ask that as we open up this passage today, Lord, will you speak to us? Lord Jesus, will you show us uh, the truths would you want us to receive today, how we are to apply this to our life, how we are to be ready for your coming, how to be, re- be ready and live in these days such as these, as you call us all to live. How are we to live? How are we to present the gospel? How are we to, Lord, know what is to come? In Jesus' name, amen. So as they were leaving the temple, this, this uh, of, of course, this, the disciple, and it doesn't say which one, was saying, this is magnificent. These, this temple, you know, coming to, out of this temple, and it was the... Um, Described as one of the ancient um, wonders of the world. The temple was under construction for over 50 years. And it was still not finished, but it was this massive thing. And archaeologists have actually uncovered foundation stones that are 42 feet long, 11 feet high, and 14 feet deep. How did they move those stones? you You wonder how did they move that? It's kind of like the ancient pyramids. How did they move that? Um, Some people think aliens, but I mean, (laughs) some people just these, they had to roll them on these, I mean, it was just incredible how they would cut the stones and, and such and move them in those days. But the temple was made of this gleaming white limestone and parts of it were actually covered in gold. And the rising sun which is actually, if you've ever read anything by the Jewish historian uh, Josephus, uh, who lived in those days, uh, if you read any of his writings, uh, he described it, it shined with fiery splendor. And so it was larger and more striking than any other ancient temple in its day. Uh, And they were magnificent, awesome, buildings of those days in the truest sense of the word. So you would expect Jesus to say something like, yeah, these are pretty awesome, dude. Yeah. But he didn't. He said, all these are going to be demolished. Can you imagine that? just like, what, Jesus? What did you just say? What did you just say that these are all going to be demolished? And it did. It happened in much of their lifetime. verse three, it says, later that day, Jesus was opposite on the on the Mount of Olives, in verse three, they were looking over, which was the Kidron Valley, or still is the Kidron Valley. But the Kidron Valley, look, overlooking into Jerusalem, and they could see the temple. Now you can see what's most commonly seen now is the Dome of the Rock, right? But they could see, they could see the uh, the temple, and so. Jesus was talking to him, and the four disciples asked him privately, when is this going to happen, and what are the signs that these things are going to take place? Jesus would answer their question, and much more, preparing for his return someday. So one thing I want to point out is, the first thing is that um, we need to be warned, Jesus warned, he warned of deceptions that were going to come, that were going to take place. That was one sign that they needed to recognize that there's going to be things that they needed to be prepared for future deceptions. And let's continue on and read through another few verses. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. Let's stop there for a moment. Now, Jesus warned them watch out that no one deceives you. Have there been false prophets and false teachers? And false people claiming to be the Messiah since, the, since Jesus lived on earth? Yes, there's been many and there will continue to be many antichrists that come. And one day there will be the antichrist, if you read Revelation, that will take his place um, in the end of days. But it says nation will rise up against nation. There will be natural disasters. There will be earthquakes and famines And of course we've seen that. Now you can just say, well, that's just normal life. That's just normal world. But actually, is it increasing? Is there an increase of these things over the period of years? And some would say, yes, based on studies and such, that there have been an increase. But Jesus warned them not to be alarmed. Um, These events would precede the coming of the destruction of the temple. Do not be deceived by these people that are going to lead you astray or be alarmed by all these natural earthquakes and famines that are going to take place. And in fact, uh, these things did happen prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Um, There were famines in uh, the reign of Claudius, uh, the emperor Claudius, from 41 to 54. For those 10 years, there was a severe famine. There was also a great earthquake that struck in Jerusalem. I keep wanting to say 1961, but 61 A.D., 61 A.D. in Pergia, but also in 63 A.D., what took place in that year was Pompeii was destroyed by the the volcano, right? They found Pompeii after finding that um, archaeological discovery. Uh, So all those things took place in that region, and there was no shortage of wars. There's been wars. There will be continuing to be wars, But these are the beginning, it says, of birth pains or birth pangs in some translations that not actual vent itself. Now, we can see as the Lord is returning and it talks about throughout the Gospels that there's going to be things that are going to increase. And we need to be observant of the times. We need to see that Jesus is coming back soon. I, I know he is. But some scholars see a deeper meaning here in many prophecies have a primary but also a secondary meaning behind it. And it could be that Jesus is speaking not only the prelude to the destruction of the temple, but the prelude to the end of the age and his return someday. Uh, so we need, we are warned not to be deceived and not to be alarmed either. We don't have to live in fear of the things that surround us. Now, in, a, in our own country, we don't have... The, uh, the severity of persecutions like there have been in other countries, people that are literally laying down their life to serve Jesus and we're seeing an increase of things uh, being pushed upon you know and the in the gospel being uh, limited by being shared in our own country so we, we can see there's things sometimes we we get so narrow-minded just in our own American ideals and ideologies that we don't see the greater picture and the greater picture is what is happening in the world not just in america but often what has happened in america does play out in other countries as well so it's not just based on my limitation of what i see and perceive as an american but what are we supposed to see in the world scope of things a bigger world view we must be alert we must be aware of what's taking place worldwide not just here Let's continue on, and my second point is Jesus warned of the persecutions. I know you're really looking forward to hearing about that part. Verses 9, it says, You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations." Wherever you go, wherever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what you are to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father is child. Children will rebel against his parents and have them put together, and all men will hate you because of me, because he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Those are powerful words that we're reading there, just a powerful reminder to us that, you know, after warning of the social upheaval that was going to take place and natural disaster, Jesus warns them of these persecutions that are going to come near them, and he tells them, be ready, be on guard, be alert, you need to be, you need to know this, people, you need to know that this is going to happen, and we will be persecuted. And they, he was talking to his disciples, but really I believe there's a, a greater purpose in what Jesus was writing, not to his disciples, but all followers of his from then on. And so they will be handed over to local councils, they will be flogged in the synagogues, they will be persecuted, and will stand before governors. And he tells them, Don't worry. The Holy Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, He will speak to you. He will share with you what you want to need to speak at that moment, um, and He will. He'll speak through. and And that's really what happened. If you read through Acts, and one of my favorite chapters in Acts, chapter four, is when when Peter and John went to the temple right after Pentecost, and they came there and they saw the man that was crippled, and they said, "Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus rise up and walk." And you think. It did create an excitement. There was a following. There was, you know, following Peter's uh, sermon, 3,000 came to Christ. The church was birthed out of that. Exciting things happened. But again, not only the exciting things happened, but the persecution started. Because guess what? The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and all those religious leaders didn't like it. I don't like this. We don't like what's going on. So they arrested him, and uh, they had them stand before the the great Sanhedrin, and in that passage it says, when they saw the courage in Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. That is one of my favorite passages because it's just like they were astonished that these men looked like they had been with Jesus. If there's no other better compliment I could actually get from someone to decide that you look a lot like Jesus I mean, I might not be that smart. I might not be able to talk that well and like they were. They were, you know, very unschooled. I don't know. They were probably a little raw. Maybe it threw in a couple cuss words every once in a while. I don't know. <laughs> but they looked like they had been with Jesus. <laughs> so that was the part that they were astonished about. And Jesus promised them that the Holy Spirit would help them, and, he, and they did. They just started spoke, speaking and, and that's what happens sometimes. I don't know if you've ever been speaking to someone or sharing your faith with someone, and you're just like, where did that come from? Where did that come from that I just all of a sudden started sharing stuff I didn't even know about? And really, it's, you know, I'm kind of having an out-of-body experience. You're just like, what? <laughs> what are you saying? And, and you're just like, man, that's got to be God, because that certainly wasn't me, um, and so Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would lead them and, and guide them in that. But also that Jesus promised them, even from within your own families, there will be people that will betray brother. That they will say, All men will hate you because of me. And that's the hurtful thing. You know, there, you know what I, I believe that offense is a choice. Offense is a choice, and sometimes people say, "You know, Greg, I don't want to uh, offend you by this," or you know, and then they say something. I'm like, you know what? I'm not. It's really hard to offend me. It's really hard to offend me. You you have to choose to receive offense, and and I don't. I don't. I mean, I'm not saying that I, I would love everyone to believe. I would love everyone to follow Jesus, but not everyone will, or at least yet. And so, you know, the things that I just try to witness, even in our community, and try to be with with people that aren't followers of Jesus yet, but I'm not surprised that some people reject the gospel. I'm not surprised. And Jesus said, they will reject you, but actually they're rejecting me. They're rejecting Jesus. It's not not just you. They don't like the gospel message. And so we shouldn't be surprised of that. Jesus spoke of that. And it's rejection of him more than it is of you. And Peter wrote about that in his own letter in 1 Peter four twelve. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. You know, that, that's, again, to be expected. You, you will go through sufferings in this world. And thank God we haven't had to go through much suffering in our country. Do, do I think that's always going to be the case? I don't. I don't. But verse 14 says this. It says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand that those who in Judea um, flee to the mountains, let no one on the roof of his house go down to enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in the days for a pregnant woman and a nursing mother's Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now. And never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and, one, and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. We'll stop there again. Many scholars believe Jesus is predicting the fall of the and the destruction of Jerusalem where the temple was destroyed. Many believe this was prophetic anticipation of what was going to take place at the end at the end of time as well. So again, that double meaning of that prophetic uh, meaning in that, and the, another double meaning in, in this passage. So here a little history lesson. In AD 66, Jewish zealots, they rebelled against Rome. They captured Jerusalem. were trying to protect Jerusalem from being taken by the Romans completely. And the Roman emperor Vespian sent his son, General Titus to stop this rebellion and take back the city. Then a, a few years later in AD 70, Titus and his troops surrounded the city and they began the siege against it. And many Christians, remembering the words of Jesus in these very words that we're reading, uh, fled the city before that siege began. But thousands of Jews were taking refuge in the city of Jerusalem at the That time, and what happened was one of the most gruesome stories in history. That the Jewish historian Josephus, again, he writes because he was there. He said over one million Jews were perished uh, either by execution or starvation during those years. That he said the cities were lined with corpses. That when the Romans broke into the city, it was just completely covered with dead bodies and those who were still alive were taken captive and then the city and the great temple were leveled and burned. Archaeologists have actually found some of these original stones. They're still, they could see the burn marks on some of the stones uh, from that day. The days of great distress, they called it. What did Jesus mean when he said the abomination that causes desolation? That has a a dual meaning as well, and they could have said, uh, this could refer back to the Old Testament as well, because it's actually spoken about in the book of Daniel, the abomination that causes desolation of talking about days ahead that were going to take place. Another dual meaning of not only the days of what was going to take place in the Old Testament, but that phrase has generated many different opinions. First found in, in Daniel, that phrase is used Later in the Maccabean era, if you've ever had a Catholic Bible, they have the, the Maccabees um, books of the Bible that's not in the Protestant Bible. Maccabean era, uh, it's apocryphal writing, they call it, but it's referred to this, this time period of the Maccabees, the sacrilege of the general, uh, I'm going to try to say, Antiochus uh, Ephanes, who conquered Jerusalem in 8 B.C. 168. And he set up an altar to Zeus in the temple of God, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. Now, if you know, pigs were uh, uncleanly animals, and so he did this in spite, of course, and sacrificed this pig on the altar because that was an unclean animal. And so that was considered an abomination that causes desolation in that day. But now Jesus uses it in this sense, too. But what is he referring to? Uh, Could it be the destruction of Jerusalem by by Titus, the general Titus? Or could it be pointing to something in a distant future, the man of lawlessness that is going to come, the Antichrist in the end of days? Or could it be a combination of both? That's something that we aren't quite sure about ourselves. So Jesus seems to shift gears Starting in verse 24, again, we'll read a few more verses. It says, But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you will know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. And I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Verse 31 is a powerful verse. His words will never pass away he also talks about Jesus is coming again someday. If you don't believe that, I believe it. I believe he is going to come back. He is calling together. There will be one day, he, the clouds will part, the trumpet will sound, and we will be gathered together. Dead in Christ will rise first, and will be gathered up together with him forever. I often say that, you know what, my kids always tell me, especially when I was in my my college studies a few years ago, studying my master's, my my brother always gave me a hard time about this. He goes, Greg, you gotta save things on the iCloud. You gotta save things on the iCloud. Gotta save it on the iCloud. And I'm like, I don't know what the iCloud is. I I mean, I I can't figure it out. I save it on my computer. And I'm like, you know what? If Jesus comes in the iCloud, I'm gonna miss it. I'm gonna miss the rapture because he comes back in the iCloud. I'm like, don't, Jesus, don't do it. Have sympathy for us, people that don't know things like that. Um, I think he's going to literally come back in the clouds, not a night cloud, so I pray. Anyway, uh, Jesus was familiar with Old Testament imagery and to predict the second coming of the end of the age. And so he's only days away from being condemned, from being crucified on the cross. And so Jesus predicts a time when he's going to come in the cloud, with great power, with glory. Uh, His whole life he had lived humbly, right? He came as a baby. Uh, He lived a humble life, didn't want to be recognized. And only in just this short period of time, his last three years where his ministry started, and even in those three years he didn't want to be recognized. My time yet has not come. My time has not yet come. And so really only in just a short little period of time where he starts actually admitting that he is the Son of God. All those times that he said, no, it's not my time yet. Well, this is his time. And he goes, one day I am going to come back in power and glory. I'm going to come in riding in on the, the white horse. I'm going to come in mighty power, but not right now. That's not what my kingdom is for. My kingdom is here now. My kingdom is in you, the, who believe. My, those who rule and reign in my kingdom are those that receive my kingdom inside by faith. And then Jesus uses this illustration of a fig tree, and one thing one that we could kind of relate to that when the the grass starts to green and it starts to grow and, and spring starts to happen and the lilac bushes start to change and, and leaves start to bud on the trees. Uh, we know that the long winter's over and that summer's getting ready to start, and now we're in the fall season, and leaves are starting to fall, of course. In the same way, when you see these things happen, you will know that it is near, at the, right, at the hand, right at the door, these things are happening. So Jesus was talking about, and he talks about in other places, I don't have time to mention today, but you will see the sun's, you know, there will be things that will happen. The sun will be turned to blood, you know, and it, could that be an eclipse or could it be something else? You know, what, what are these things that, that we've seen in our, in our day? Um, Many scholars believe that, you know, it was a d- the destruction of the of the temple in Jerusalem, this generation. But many believe also that it's more, and it meant for the final generation. Now, what happened in 1948? 1948. That's when Israel became a nation again, right? In uh, 1948, when Israel became a nation again, many prophecy uh, prophets. Uh, Believe that this was a sign that the beginning of the end, that Jesus would come before that generation passes away. What is a typical generation or what it used to be? Typically, was about 40 years. I think the span between generations is getting shorter and shorter and shorter uh, because things are changing so rapidly with different age groups. But it had been about 40 years. So in 1988, that's 40 years, right? 1988, there was a, how many of you remember that there was a book written by a guy that how, um, he was uh, prophetic? And he wrote a book, uh, Edgar Winsnett. He wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Was Going to Happen in 1988. Did anyone pick up that book back then? <laughs> well, it came and went. So he actually wrote a sequel, another one, uh, the following year. 89 reasons why the rapture is going to happen in 1989. And so he hasn't really followed after that, (laughs) but uh, it didn't happen either. And so if you even want to go back further, uh, Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth, did anyone read that one back in the 70s, the late great planet Earth? That was a, a common book a lot of people read, and a lot of people got saved as it. How many of you watched the 666 videos when you were a kid in the 70s too? Anyone watch those? You can watch these. I mean, you can find them online. And I thought that was scary. I mean, I was scared. We watched it in our church back in youth group days. And man, we got a lot of people accept, you know, accepting Jesus out of that. Now, if you watch it, I'll probably go, oh, brother, the graphics were just terrible back then. <laughs> yeah, they're just terrible. But you know what? It's, the reality is true still. We can see these things happening, but we don't know when. And so the folks all had something in common, but they failed to pay attention to the next few verses that we'll read. It says, <laughs> verse 32, no one, say no one. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But... We need to be on guard. Again, he said, be watchful. Now he says, be on guard. Be alert. You do not know what that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and put his servants in charge, each with his assigned tasks and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say, I say to everyone, watch. So the warning, the third warning is Jesus warned of the timing. Jesus warned that no one knows when exactly, but we need to be watchful, we need to be ready, we need to be paying attention, not sleeping. And, and so Jesus ends this discourse on the future of his call to readiness no one knows, even Jesus, only God the Father knows the day when he says, now is the time. It's, you know, he's sending Jesus. This means that any attempt to know that day or hour of Christ's return is, is not, I don't know if it's wasted time or whether it's just we, we're paying attention to the wrong thing. We're putting too much effort into the wrong things and we need to be telling more people about Jesus. Yes, we need to be aware. He even said that here. Be aware, be watchful. But we don't need to spend all our days trying to figure out every little detail. Many others have predicted the exact time when Jesus was gonna return. And we can definitely see the signs of the coming of the Lord. And I would say like any other time in my lifetime, and I would especially say in this last year, are there prepared, Are there things being put into place for um, the coming of the one world system and new world order? Do you, have you heard of the new world order been promoted lately? Uh, yeah, I have. I've been seeing it being pushed readily, getting rid of all other forms of government, including the United States, having one world government, one world money system, eliminating cashless society. Uh, cancel culture, forced vaccinations or passports, all these things, eliminating personal freedoms and stuff, do you think there's any relation or correlation to the Word of God? Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. So, of any other time in my lifetime, and I'm sure many of yours as well, we can't ignore the facts of what's taking place. Does that scare the bejeebers out of you? It might. And I will, I'll be honest. I don't like it. I don't like it. But I also realize that if I read Scripture, it's I can't change prophecy. I can't change God's Word. I believe we're living in such a day of the last days that this will not only lead to the destruction of, of things as we know it, but I also believe this is going to usher in a great awakening of people coming to Christ in our world today. So I'm living every day going, there's still someone else that needs to get saved. There's still someone else that says, why is Je- why is it Jesus tarry and is coming because not everyone has heard the gospel. Not everybody has heard the and he is patient with those. He is patient not wanting anyone to perish but for everyone to come to salvation. <coughs> So we need to be watchful. What can we know? Well, eschatology, if you like the study of eschatology, as I mentioned, is the study of end times, and the second coming, the rapture, the tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, the millennium, uh, the battle of Armageddon, the final judgment. So many different opinions about these things as well, even in the church. And what is it? how is it going to look like? Will Jesus come back before after or during the great tribulation, those seven-year period. Uh, Probably many of you don't know anything about that. Are you pre-trib, post-trib, or mid-trib? Will there be a rapture or removal of Christians before the tribulation or the rapture where we rise to meet Jesus in the air before the final judgment? Or will there be a literal millennium, a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth before the final judgment? When is Jesus coming in relation to the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ? Are you pre-millennial, amillennial, post-millennial, or pan-millennial? Pan-millennial means everything's going to pan out in, in the end. Um, so I don't know where I stand on all of that. You know, I was raised in, in a traditional church where I'm, I was pre-trib, and I still like to lean that way. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being a pre-tribber. Yes, Jesus, come quickly. Uh, So, and my last point is Jesus spoke of that being ready. We need to be ready. What can we know about these things? And early Christians lived in the constant hopeful expectation that Jesus could return at any moment. If you read through again the, the book of Acts... Um, they, they lived with anticipation and all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is going to come back any time, any day, any now, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Um, and we should live in such a way that we could, if Jesus did come back sometime, we would be prepared, we would be ready for him coming. If you study those, the three things, there are three things you can know for sure about the end. Jesus is coming, no one knows when, and you should be Ready? Those three things, if you can remember that, uh, everyone I know who takes Scripture seriously would agree with those three statements, that all the other stuff, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, all the prophetic things about that and how it's going to happen are really guessing. I don't think I'm completely guessing that we're seeing things in the last short period of time are taking place. Um, and they are put already doing RFID chips in people's hands. I'm not saying that is, a, that is exactly the mark of the beast, but it's pretty darn close, pretty darn close in that. Um, and so Christians have wildly viewed different views on this, but we all have to agree that Jesus is coming back. No one knows when, and I need to be ready. And What leads me to that final application, then how are we to be ready? How are we to live in these days that we're living in? First, I live each day with an eternal perspective. I don't just live for the moment. I don't live just storing up my treasures here on earth. But I live with an eternal hope and perspective that, you know what? If if my life is taken from me, I have an eternal home with Jesus. And that's where I want to draw my attention to. We don't live just for what is temporary, but what is for eternal. I do everything as unto Jesus. And there is more. We believe that history is going somewhere. We believe that there is a beginning and there will be an end someday. And we are moving purposely towards that end. And so we live with an end in mind with an eternal perspective. Or we should. We should live with an eternal perspective in our world today. This is very different from those who don't believe in God because this is the only heaven they'll ever have. And so that's why they all live for this. That's why there is such greed and, and things in our world that's, you know, they're pushing for so much more uh, to take and take and take. And, and so sometimes we can get caught up in that, caught up in that thing. And, and actually, it's, I was just reading in my devotions this, this morning that we cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. You have to either choose one or the other. What are you going to choose? There's no guiding purpose. We came from nowhere. We are going nowhere if, that's, if you don't believe in God. And while Christians believe that history is God's story or his story, atheists believe there's no story at all. We just exist and then we die. And then we just cease to exist. And one day the sun's going to burn out. We're gonna, the planet's going to blow up and human life will end. Oh, well. And oh, well. That's pure hopelessness. However, Christian's perspective is very different. History is God's story. He's moving towards it, his desired end, that he wants us all to be with him someday. Whether we live a short period of time on this planet or we live to 100-some years old, we live with the end in view. We live with an eternal perspective, and I hope that you do too. We live knowing that one day I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to stand before Jesus someday, And uh, it could be when he returns or when I die. But one day I'm going to see him. And I'm going to, wow, I can't imagine. And since we don't know when that day is going to be, we live in readiness. Do I live in readiness that this could be my last day on this planet? Secondly, watch and be prepared. And Jesus used the illustration in other passages about the ten virgins, the the five that were prepared for the, the bridegroom and the five that were not. And so they had their, their lamps ready. Um, there's amazing symboli- symbolism in that. He also said he's going to come as a thief in the night. How many of you remember the, the old gospel singers Larry Norman? I wish we'd all been ready. You know, you know and so, the, man, those were really powerful in the Jesus movement era of people just like, oh, man, that used to make me cry, you know, that song. Just like, one left man... Walking up a hill and the other one's standing still. You know, so I think that, you know, just like, oh, that's sad. But that's with the scriptures. Like, he will come like a thief in the night. So he's not going to say, I'm coming next week, be ready, be ready for it. We need to be ready that he could come at any moment. If we knew a thief was coming to break in our house, what would we do? We'd get our gun out, right? We'd get our shotgun or whatever, and so we, we'd be watchful, we'd be prepared. But he says, be living in ready position. Being prepared means doing what we're told to do. It means each day I do what he wants so that if he does show up, he can say, come, come. Then he would say, and I look forward to the day when we all stand before God someday, and he can say, Greg, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest that we can all hear him say those words over us. Jesus' return should inspire us to live each day all out for Christ, live each day as if it could be our last and want to give him our best, and he may come today. Are you ready for that? The only thing that we can take with us is nothing that in this world, nothing in this world that being our possessions, our things that we spend most of our money on, our nice lawns, our nice furniture, our nice cars, our houses, our clothes, or our looks, you know, whatever that may be. It's, that is all temporary. But we can take people. We can take relationships. We can be a witness to them that not only I live for myself, ready to follow Jesus, ready to go, but I want to take as many with us as I can. If I start being raptured, I'm going to grab someone, say, okay, you better hold on, because <laughs> you know it would be one of those things, you know, it's now or never. Um, so are you ready? And that's the thing that we need to be knowing. I hope this wasn't too deep or hard of a message to hear. The, par- the purpose in this is that we do need to hear it. We do need to hear this. We need to hear the gospel in its entirety, and and this is true, and we believe it to be true. So, Lord God, we just thank you for this reminder again. Jesus, I don't have to live in constant fear that these days in which we live are evil. These days in which we live, that you, just as the disciples saw you ascend into heaven and, and the angel said, Behold, he's coming again someday. And Lord, we've been living in the last days for the last 2000 years, but we see the sign of your coming. We know it is soon. We know that the, what we just read was obviously about the destruction of the temple, but it also has great significance to the one day of your return someday. And we look forward to that. And I pray that if anyone today either watching or hearing this message today that does not have the assurance of salvation that today is the day of salvation that could, you're calling everyone by name and saying, will you receive me? Will you acknowledge I am the Savior? I am the, Ma- I am the Messiah. And I do. I surrender to that again, Lord, saying, I want to follow you. I want your cleansing, Lord, so that I can be a follower of Jesus. I can be washed clean. And I can know that I have the assurance that I will spend eternity with you forever and ever. I don't have to fear what may come. But, Lord, we can also be a witness to someone you call us to be salt and light in our world, and I pray that more people will come to know you, Jesus, as you tarry, as, you wait for, as we wait for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you so much. I pray that God will bless you all. I do love you all. And uh, give someone a hug on the way out. If you would like prayer, please, I'm always available for prayer after service, so happy to do that. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Poulsen Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsenfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.